Fears of a banking meltdown have seemingly subsided as we haven't gone, we've now gone, I should say, almost two weeks, I think, without a major bank collapsing. So, of course, that means that it's completely out of the narrative. But what is back in the narrative is fears of a recession seeing articles about it everywhere, that it's almost guaranteed that we're going to see a recession, which is funny because at no point did I realize that the fears of a recession had subsided at all. But that's what happens when you try to keep up with the 24-7 news cycle. We're going to talk about the likelihood of a recession today. I think we all agree it's very likely. And what that might mean for markets, Bitcoin, gold, silver, everything else you guys have come to expect on Macro Monday with Mike McClone and Dave Weisberger. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. I hope that everybody had a wonderful holiday weekend, that uh, your kids didn't eat nearly as much candy as mine because yesterday was a complete disaster by 4 p.m. But that's what happens. Anyone who has young kids knows that when you fill them with candy, there's only one way, and that is down. But you're not here to talk about candy and Easter. We're here to talk about macro and, of course, to touch on Bitcoin and the crypto market as well. I've got my co-host. We're just calling you guys co-hosts now. Mike McGlone and Dave Weisberger, both down in much sunnier, I would imagine, South Florida, North Florida. Not not such nice weather. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining on this Monday once again. Thanks, Scott. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, yeah, Scott. It, is. it really has become my, uh, my favorite uh, morning of the week because... I inevitably have to go on 10 shows throughout the week, and I just reference everything the two of you guys say on Monday. I basically just steal all of your thoughts and uh, recycle them as my own. It's very effective, a great way to start the week. As I said, though, you know, renewed fears of a recession. Mike, I'm going to let you jump in on this one. So I I didn't realize, as I said, that we had uh, reduced our fears of a recession, but I guess a lot of people sort of brushing it off because of the job numbers last week, right? We basically came in right around expectation and unemployment once again dropped from 3.6% to 3.5%, causing a whole lot of people who didn't have better things to do this weekend to say that maybe we won't have a recession or maybe that means something. What do you think? One of the most significant lagging measures in the market that has only one way to go up and to go, that's up in terms of the unemployment rate, which means almost... For sure, recession, and I don't like to say it unless it's factual. Um, and there's um, so that to me is, and that number was kind of a meh number. Uh, from Stuart Paul, our chief economist, who came on my, we just had our macro call this morning. It's always nice. It's right before you. His quote was softening the labor market. Cuts from the banking sector is key, and all eyes, all eyes are on small banks' propensity, propensity to lend. And that's a key thing that hit Friday. The key headline I saw Friday as I was. I have to admit, some of us, like Dave does it for sure, but being an ex-hedge fund guy, just weekends are a time to catch up on all the reading of stuff I'm supposed to know. And the headline that struck me Friday afternoon that came out after the close was bank crisis drives $280 billion in institution money flows. It's, it's not so much the fact that banks are collapsing. It's the money flow. It's just the key question is there's a massive liquidity pool go that's poll going on. It's accelerating. And the key question you have to ask yourself is what stops it? And in that environment, we've had this pump in assets. Bitcoin's been the leading one. Stock market's been a leader one. So it it made me um, just a few things I want to mention that struck me this week. And a headline I saw in the terminal, it said, bond market is is overplaying the risk of a deep recession. It's on my DI list, that one. Was, I deliberately ignored it until I dug in. And I'm sure Dave knows that. Sometimes you just see stuff like, yeah, no kidding. Um, and then I dug in, and it was one particular journalist covering one particular hedge fund type guy who was um, lamenting about how quickly yields have dropped. And I'm like, that's what always happens in significant um crashes they're almost all simple mean reversion and that's all we're doing right now we're mean we mean reverted natural gas <laughs> it dropped 80 percent poof back to the cost of production we're mean new, new, reverting crude oil still going um and the biggest risk of all mean, re- mean reversions is what you're seeing on the screens right now with the s p 500 hovering around that 4100 level and to me that's where everything is trickling down to that level as i see major um, lofty prices in bitcoin and in crude oil 
in, um, in bond yields and everything is dependent on, and even copper, for them, those markets to stay at these levels, you need that stock market to not go down, to not do what it normally does when it gets the NASDAQ is now 10% above its 200 week, 200, I'm sorry, it's a 200 day moving average. That's the most since the end of 2021. That might be a bear market bounce. So to me, that's the macro of everything. And as a macro strategist, I have to just keep my eye on that. And if that stock market goes down, everything falls, including Bitcoin. And Bitcoin just oftentimes leads. It just hopefully doesn't go down as far. So I want to end with um, my morning thoughts. Of I mean, I do so much reading and researching this week. And I had to go back in and dig into some of the stuff that Ben Bernanke wrote. Because I, when I read his book, The Price, uh, Courage to Act, that really helped me formulate my views the minute the crisis, the uh, pandemic kicked in. And I was spot on because of reading his book. They would the, We'd pump so much money in the system. I never thought they'd pump that much. But what I fully expected that would pump gold and Bitcoin. But I didn't expect the stock market to be as lasting as it was. And it, it did. But the key thing, quote, I want to read from his essay, I'll end with this, that I went back and read a little bit, essays on the Great Depression, was Quote from him, I believe that there is now overwhelming evidence that the main factor depressing aggregate demand was a worldwide contraction in the world money supplies. Boom. That's exactly what happened in our database since 1959. Money supplies dropping at the highest pace ever. Bank deposits are dropping at the highest pace ever. And the Fed's still tiny. Back to you. And no lending, right? As you said, I think we were seeing... I mean, that's, in, yeah. Insane lows. I, and I, I love the point you made about the banking collapses they're not collapses but they're also doing nothing and well they're losing their deposits <laughs> yeah. and by losing deposits they can't lend and it's that fractional reserve there's that exponential you have fractional reserve the actual exponential pump and now we're getting that contraction i mean just get a mortgage now it's not only harder to do it's but double the rate from a year ago yeah go ahead dave i mean it's hard to disagree with a lot of what mike's saying except for I don't think that assets are as monolithic. I don't think markets are as monolithic as is being portrayed. I mean, certainly in, in major down moves, correlations go to one. We all understand that. Got it. But the fact is, is I will continue to talk about that in the Great Depression, through the decade of the 30s, the best performing asset was home stake mining. And what was going on there was that people were saying, I need to own something that's not going to get inflated away in value, which was gold. But you weren't allowed to own gold because back then uh, <laughs> we had the seizure of gold, the, the theft of gold, actually, where they stole it at $20 an ounce and then revalued it immediately as soon as they had, they had taken it to 30 some odd dollars an ounce giving, you know, basically uh, giving a huge injection of liquidity to the federal government in order to effectively monetize debt. Uh, it's quaint to look at those numbers today because the scale of the numbers, the scale of the debt is so large. On this program, I have made, the com made multiple comments multiple times. And I sound like a broken record, and I'm sorry for that, but the, nothing has changed. The two comments I've made that are most salient here are, one, the Fed is trapped. They are absolutely trapped. There is literally not a thing they can do to decrease uh, the, the borrowing costs of what is becoming runaway, uh, runaway debt cycle. And when you take in unfunded liabilities, and we've seen more and more murmurings about Social Security and Medicare going bust, it's a big deal. So the Fed needs the long end uh, to be lower. And so it's, it, they're, they're happy about what's going on. They love this, quote, forecast of recession narrative, unquote, because the, the truth is it's the only way that the government can actually afford to not crowd out all investment, and, you know, within the within a, quote, budget. So it also takes a dramatically larger amount of aggregate money supply expansion to have a smaller effect time after time after time. So I look at what's going on as very simple. I mean, yes, there's no doubt that aggregate demand in the U.S. economy is going to contract. I mean, you cannot have this, uh, this large amount of money flowing out of the banking system, which is, after all, the community banks, it's not the J.P. Morgans of the world, it's the community banks across the United States that fund small businesses, which are the is the engine of growth in the economy. And that is a, a, a leading indicator as lending goes for small businesses throughout America, 
Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, the next tech company or the next entrepreneurs that I'm talking about. You want to open a local store, a local laundromat, a local, you know, bodega, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, whatever it is you're doing, those are the businesses that rely on bank lending, which now is getting incredibly tight. Why? Because as Mike said, bank deposits are leaving and moving to money market funds and other sort of things. And the banks are sort of zombified because they have all these losses on their balance sheet. So that's a long-term process. Now, if you're the Fed, uh, it, it's, they're going to end up in a world where they have two things to worry about. And we all, always do. They're going to have titular headline inflation moderating-ish because of the collapse in commodities that Mike talked about at the same time as the leading indicators are going to suggest unemployment is going to increase, but that takes time. And so the likelihood of what they're going to do is the same thing they did the last time and the time before that and the time before that. They're going to tighten too much and tip the economy over and then have to panic. And the, the, the asset markets these days are playing a, I don't even want to say chess. I mean, it, it reminds me of my favorites, one of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, where, where Wallace Shawn, is, the character, the Sicilian, is saying, you know, surely you cannot choose the glass in front of me. And it's like, well, because I know you're a smart, and he goes through this whole thing, you know, what you kind of do. Well, at the end of the day, asset markets are saying, yeah, we kind of understand this is what's going on. But we think the Fed's going to inject money again at some point because they're going to have to, and that's going to float assets. Now, the problem with that narrative, and there's lots of problems with that narrative, is that it will not be even. The, the assets that, that, that will rise more than others are going to be ones where that are, not, that are delinked from the material Main Street economy and ones which have to do with uh, basically are inversely related to confidence in institutions. Because ultimately, when Belay was going on his brilliant narrative on Tuesday on Twitter Spaces, you could sum it up to basically that there's a set of assets that effectively represent a hedge against loss of institutional trust, and that loss of institutional trust is likely to accelerate. And so this is a very long-winded way of making my point, which is I feel like if as long as the, a, the, quote, recession that is induced by what the Fed is doing is not incredibly severe from an asset point of view, and as long as people continue to think they're going to reliquify afterwards, I would be really surprised to see Bitcoin go, you know, go down. Uh, I would not be that, nearly as surprised to see the S&P and more importantly, the Russell which are the, the smaller companies in the stock market, would not be nearly as surprised to see them uh, go into bear markets. Now, make no mistake, I'm not talking about a crash here. I'm talking about a gentle delinking. It wouldn't surprise me to see, uh, you know, to see markets diverge because the last time we, we looked at Bitcoin at this level, it was, we have to go back way before the, you know, not this level, but the, this sort of chart pattern, this sort of behavior of volatility compressing, uh, we have to go way back before the recession, uh, before the, the pandemic, uh, to when it was bouncing around in March, April of what was it, 19 at, at somewhere between seven and 9,000. And we kept saying the same thing. It was in a, a really tightening, you know, it, the, the range was there, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I think that 28 and that trading range is very similar to that. And at the same time, if you look at my favorite chart, which you should pull up from, you know, the total hash Baltic rate. Baltic Tri-Index. What? Is it the Baltic Tri-Index? Well, that, that talks about the economy. My favorite <laughs> chart about Bitcoin is the hash rate versus the price. Yeah. yeah. That is, uh, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin hash rate just continues to look like the bull market in the S&P, you know, from the, the lows after the global financial crisis to right before the pandemic. Uh, and it, it is, it's one of the tightest, uh, you know, upward sloping to the right charts and price doesn't look anything like that. And the, 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 I was reading a post this morning talking about something that was, I thought was a profound point, which is the use cases, the utility, the reasoning behind Bitcoin is starting with the quote global South and will eventually migrate to the global North.
and talking about what that is and how Americans have a hard time conceptualizing it, particularly, you know, academics and, you know, the, especially the ones that get called from, from Congress, like someone from Duke who basically assumes his answer before he, he makes, his, makes his point. And, and, and this is a very long-winded way of making the point that, look, you know, the macro situation is, is very interesting because I think everything points to what Mike is saying is going to happen. And then people are saying, okay, well, what is the Fed going to do there? What is, are people going to be more or less confident in our institutions going forward? I mean, we are literally politically facing a nightmare scenario of a Biden-Trump rematch, right? You know, oh it's, like, it, it, it's, it's like, you know, our macro situation... Well, no, I mean, seriously, that that but that is literally what it, that would be so depressing. You're right. That would be a depression. But it's not it's not depressing that. for the but, true Great Depression. <laughs> people, well, it's 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 the dream of both parties. I mean, the Republicans want Biden to win because he's too old. The Democrats want um, um, Trump to win because well, people like me just can't vote for that person. even though I'm Republican. Yeah. It's just, it's <laughs> right. It's it's it, it is. But the problem with all that is it means that gridlock. And what yeah. goes on in Washington is the same. And you have a, yeah. a very recessionary scenario with increasing regulation and no end in sight. Uh, that that's not a good thing. Right. You know, and, and people have to understand that that is true. I mean, you know, the more the, the biggest single effect uh, on economic growth, there are two we talk about all the time. We talk about money and ability for credit. But regulation is a very big deal. And I'm not talking about crypto regulation. Now. I'm talking about all of it, you know, there's the, the sheer number of lines in the Federal Register and the things that are going on. And, you know, from an economic point of view, you need to substitute, you need to do something if you want to keep goosing the economy. And you know, it used to be, it wasn't all that long ago, that the goose to the economy was the Fed. Then yeah. it switched to, we need the Fed to bail us out from inflation. But you notice, <laughs> you notice that what's happening is you're getting no real movement outside of monetary policy. And that is, that is not a great thing. And, and, and why people like Belay are talking about er, er, eroding trust in institutions, it become, that, that sort of trend can accelerate. And I think that's what he's talking about. And obviously, once again, not the 90-day million-dollar thing is, is irrelevant. What, what it is relevant is the loss of trust and whether that could accelerate at some point and what that event could be. And I do think delinking is nigh, as it were between certain assets. Now, there are lots of crypto assets that are more like tech companies and will and I think you'll see Bitcoin if if I'm right, I think you'll see Bitcoin dominance uh outside of potentially what could be happening with Ethereum with the Shanghai upgrade, which is definitely worth talking about by the way. Uh is it, you will see that increase for for those reasons. Can can I piggyback on that a little bit cuz to me what Dave just described is what I started talking about about a year ago, the greatest economic reset of our lifetimes and every day that goes by, what you just said to me is that you just said to me is just adding all fuel to that. Obviously, it's political. It's typical reversion of biggest pump and liquidity ever that's dumping, getting the macro. But the political is part of it. And then I look over in the little charts like I'm published this morning i see the 200 uh, the 100 week moving average in nasdaq rolling over last time it did that the fed was already easing aggressively and it didn't give you a chance once it got back up to that level of the market it was time to start buying again but this time the market's back up to that level it's rolling over the fed's tightening the economy's going to recession what are you supposed to do sell i mean it's just my indication is just sell and um yeah maybe i'm wrong but sometimes as a as a I, if i see a hurricane i'm supposed to say it but the thing is i fully expect bitcoin's out Perform, uh, going to continue outperforming all cryptos, but 22,000 cryptos and things like Dogecoin and Shiba Inu with value, and that shows the inflation in the system that needs to be purged. That's just indicative of what happened in almost every major pump in liquidity we've had in the past, up to the 29 crash that ended in you know 30, up to what happened to 2000, the, the internet bubble. You got to get rid of that excess of, of liquidity and risk assets and excessive speculation. And Dogecoin and Shiba Inu are just nothing but pure speculation machines. And then the, maybe the there's 100 cryptos that matter, and the number one is Bitcoin. How much we want to get in cryptos, I don't want to know too much. I don't know if we should get into much, but I just cannot see a picture. My view of the S&P 500 going to 3,000, dropping just yeah, another, another 25%, which is easy in a recession. I just can't see Bitcoin going up in that environment right away. Now, initially, gold will go down in the environment and then cover. And the only thing that should typically go up in that environment initially 
unless the Fed's tightening, which they still are, is long bonds. Long bond yields should continue to decline, which as I see happening, it's already tilting that, that way. So to me, we're getting towards the real part of what you said. The Fed is so trapped, but they're trapped because they put themselves in the trap. They <laughs> waited way too long where they should have started easing it, uh, tightening at the end of 21 when the stock market started making new highs and they did it. Now we're way too far past it. That to me is the lose lose. And I like to, in this conversation, say, okay, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to manage our money properly? And why, um, what stops a normal correction in the equity market, which is almost the complete goal of the Fed to reduce the ability for people to buy stuff. And then by this time next year, I fully expect we're going to have severe deflation and the Fed can never, will never ease with the ease they have in the past because the lessons they've learned of too much liquidity and inflation. And this is what's different from every single Fed ease in the past, um, particularly during the 87 crash and particularly during when they started easing in SEP 2000. I'll end with this. SEP 2007, they started easing. PPI and Bloomberg Commodity Index were on clear upward trajectories. They're still heading higher. PPI peaked around 10%. That's finished goods. That year, PPI is now running 6% and crashing now. And the Fed is still tightening. And commodities are crashing. The Fed's still tight. That is a depression based on all the history of what happened during the Great Depression. They tightened when things started tilting down hard. And key, only one shoe's left, and that's the U.S. stock market. Housing market's dropping at a greater pace than it did in two, from the peak from 2006. The key thing that hasn't started dro dropping is owner's equivalent rent, which is CPI. Major lag, usually about six to eight months. Yeah, there, there's, there's a few things to unpack in there. First of all, housing markets, <laughs> not down here. Uh, which is kind of surprising, but uh, it is it is interesting. Uh, there are a couple of time bombs in the economy and that, that have to be talked about. And probably the single biggest one is the one that is keeping Powell up at night, which is commercial real estate. Commercial real estate, particularly in the me in the, the megalopolises uh, of you know New York, Philadelphia, uh, Boston, San Francisco, Washington, <laughs> Chicago, San Francisco. I mean, the word disaster does not go far enough, right? You, you we have leases are going to end and, and all these things are starting to roll over and you have 50% occupancy rate with literally no end in sight for it to go higher. I mean, just there is no way that there just isn't demand. I mean, the companies that are leaving uh, are, are it's going to accelerate. I mean, Chicago, I mean, no, with, with all due respect, you know, and I went to school out at Northwestern, so, you know, it's a bit sad. Chicago is in deep, deep, deep trouble. Uh, you know, they're getting triple whammied this year. People forget that the new crime bill, which we've already seen what it does in New York, went live in January. So those that's a lagging indicator on crime. They elected a, a defund the police mayor. At the same time, the Illinois legislature and governor seem poised to enact very tough uh, restrictions of, uh, even worse than the New York's DFS uh, on crypto trading, which effectively is a very big marginal thing for a lot of Chicago's trading firms. You could see a mass exodus. I mean, Citadel leaving is a big deal when the number one guy leaves, but the real damage is when the hundreds of other smaller firms say, enough is enough. I'm not safe here. I need to leave. And this is not a trivial thing. San Francisco, it looks the same. Those commercial real estate loans are sitting on the books of community and, and regional banks, uh, and it is not a good thing. When you take, take that along with all the other unrealized losses, understand that while the Fed is tightening in the sense of they are raising rates, they also made $4 trillion available to bail out banks because Powell understands what I'm saying. So, you know, this is the, the VTFP. Uh, that program. Don't forget about that. So when you talk about the notion of trust in the economy, it, there's a reason the S&P hasn't rolled over despite what seems fundamentally obvious. The reason is people think that the Fed is actually isn't going to have to and is already injecting liquidity in a sense, while at the same time raising nominal rates uh, in order to try to control it, which is a hell of a tap dance to play. It's a definite, you know, one hand doing one thing, the other hand doing the other. And so Yes, there's no doubt that that we are that the Fed's raising rates is going to impact. But if you think about what they're doing, and, and this is incredibly cynical, Scott, so I'm, I, I apologize for that. If you think of what they're doing, they're basically trying to extinguish the massive policy mistake made in the pandemic. Now, the massive policy mistake made in the pandemic, there were lots, but <laughs> many actually. But the one I'm referring to in this context is helicopter money. 
And, you know, we had 30 years, more or less, of pretty consistent asset inflation to suck up all the money that was being printed, all the liquidity. And in the pandemic, the liquidity went directly to the individual. And that triggered a massive surge in demand uh, above trend that started that it got to consumer inflation at the same time that supply chains were being crushed. So the question is, is what's the best single way to reverse that? Well, I mean, people aren't saying this out loud because they don't want people to get wind of what they're doing, but it's what they have to do. They have to create conditions for the supply chain to reliquify, right? So people can do capital investment at the same time as taking money from the average individual because we don't want it to show up in consumer inflation because politically that's what's considered bad. I mean, I hate to say good inflation versus bad inflation, but it's literally what, what, what the, the, the goal of policy almost has to be. The reason they can't say it is because what I've just described is an institutional attempt to increase wealth inequality dramatically again in order to get back to what was considered a Goldilocks environment of asset inflation without consumer. Right. And, yeah. and that's I very, mean, very cynical, I realize, and I'm sorry about that. Go ahead. I mean, I just want to add to that, and not that this is specific to commercial real estate, but, if it, you know, Blackstone once again limited their investor redemptions again in march so you know we all, everybody talked about how this was happening in crypto last year you would go to a celsius or a voyager before the implosion and try to withdraw and they had uh, frozen the ability to redeem i mean blackstone this is one of the biggest real estate reits in the world and they're not letting people take their money out because there's been a bank run on these reits i would also have to imagine and i don't have data for this but uh talking about commercial real estate and what a huge signal it is isn't every major institutional invention uh, investor, including endowments, pensions, they all have to have some sort of massive exposure to commercial real estate in the United States, correct? Through some kind of REIT or something. So, I mean, it's not just that the real estate market is slowing or that commercial real estate's a problem. It's the domino effect that could likely happen on the back of that. Not my core competency, but that just seems like a very obvious assumption that People are heavily involved in this and invested in it. I mean, Mike, do you you might have some data on that or just thoughts? I as as Dave was speaking, it's one subject that I've um, done a lot of listening to and studying lately. And as he was starting, I knew he was going to go there. The key question I like to ask myself: I just pull up the Bloomberg Commercial Read Index, and it looks as bad or worse than it did in 2006 to the bottom to 2009. And the key question simply is you always ask yourself is what stops this trajectory? And putting, you know, focusing on a few trees in the forest misses the entire forest. That is rates are still going up from the Fed at the highest pace in history if you do like just log measure from zero and on a global basis. And everything is just starting to turn over in the macro. So to me, that's where the one key thing is we're going to wake up and next time we're going to have a call. We're going to say, yeah, oh, man, NASDAQ or S&P was down 10% in a week. And that's usually how it happens. It's got to drive everybody crazy. I mean, that's what um, most markets do. And then, poof, it, it starts to trickle down. And I think that's the trigger. That's the final leg in everything you're saying. And unfortunately, we have, we're having this conversation, but it's that serious. And anybody who's still not buying two notes at 4%, I think, is seriously um, missing out what the opportunity is here. <laughs> you're supposed to just say thank you. Buy some safe assets and um, and just take everything else and and over and underweight. I mean, to me, that's what the, when when the trino was at five percent. What happened right after that? We had these little few little trees of banks going under. Now you're getting the forest, and the forest is burning, and the Fed's I mean, still throwing fuel on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating because look, the the GFC was mostly about residential real estate. Yeah, there was commercial real estate speculation, but residential real estate was a big deal. I mean, you were reading the stories of strippers flipping houses. You know, we all saw the big short. You know, yada yada yada. Now we are into year. What are we? Year three now of uh, less than fifty percent, and obviously well less than fifty percent commercial occupancy in commercial real estate. No one's flipping it, but we've had 50, literally 50, five, zero percent, you know, (laughs) that can't go on for that much longer. Uh, The reason blacks on us to limit withdrawals, just to be specific about it, is because God forbid they actually had to sell residential real estate. Who's going to buy? 
that, well, that's commercial real estate. Who, who's going to buy it? So we have a market. Real estate is a funny market, right? Because unlike other assets, we have a couple of cross currents that are going on in real estate. One of the reasons that real estate markets haven't rolled over nearly as badly is because the buyers for bargains, if you were going to try to sell it, are locked into their mortgages. I mean, like, yeah, like I have a three and a quarter percent. You're not going to ever sell while mortgages are seven percent. Why it, would it, you do that to yourself? I mean, literally, think about the, the, but, but think about how much everyone, you know, in this economy, you know, people talk about, well, Fed now is going to make things go faster. We already have smartphones, and we can go in here and we boop, 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 and we can withdraw our money in in seconds. We saw the bank runs. How many people didn't refi? When, you know, during the period of two to three percent, you know, 30 year fixed. And the answer is a very small number. Almost everyone did, which means that the real estate market on the residential side is stuck in amber. So you're not it. it, it that's why you haven't seen a lot of those things. But in commercial real estate, why is it stuck in amber? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a tenant, you know, you're not you know, you don't care if you're an owner, then you're forcing people to try to use the buildings. But the fact is, is a lot of the owners are in REITs. And the REITs don't have to sell unless people liquidate. And if they gate those assets, it's tough. I mean, that to me is the domino. That's the one that I think the Fed is, is worried about because, you know, the hole in the balance sheet from them raising rates and causing, you, you know, duration mismatch. I mean, duration mismatch is a very cold clinical term for the traders at banks lost tons of money and weren't accountable for it, right? <laughs> Now, I used to be one of those, <laughs> and I remember doing that. <laughs> because every trader at, at, on a, on a, in an in a investment sense has to mark their, their positions to market. Well, the banks didn't. So, okay, we got that. That is much smaller of an amount than the if commercial real estate were revalued, say, 25% to 40% lower, which, by the way, seems tame. Uh, you know, For example, rent per square foot in New York is still triple what I'm paying down here still and that's for the new stuff on the margin yeah. who, who knows what happens you know when they have to really start you know cutting i mean you you literally could see a 50 percent fall in future cash flows and oh by the way as mike points out most of those commercial leases were done when rates were a lot lower and so you got you have a double whammy on value of commercial real estate which is occupancy and demand is lower for the actual physical stuff, right? People need less of it. And oh, by the way, the financing is going to have to roll over at some point. So what's part of the key macro of that is I think this is this, this hundred year events and so many things all colliding. And that is we've never had a period in history like this. I remember reading Sidney Homer's history of interest rates. I'm sure that'll tweak you a little, Dave. I'm, those of us who trade interest rates used to live by that book that of of year, zero and negative rates for so long. So markets got addicted to it, particularly in Europe, when you get these adjustable mortgages that are one third are all shifting higher, almost every other country, but the U S and that to me is part of the, um, the uh, hangover that just is getting started. And the feds too aggressive, <clears throat> too aggressive, taking away that punch bowl. And, and um, in the macro. So what you're to me, I think REITs, housing peaking, all these things are just, they're all trees. And the forest is, tide's going out, macro, and the Fed's still tightening. And they have good reason because lagging inflation numbers. But I like to say, well, Bloomberg Commodity Index down 20%, natural gas and lumber have dropped the same price, first traded in like 1991, 92. <laughs> That's like pretty deflationary. The markets are telling you, that anything that's lofty, like you said first, that you should be looking to sell rallies. What got lofty recently? Oh, crude oil popped. What's still lofty? Corn. Corn's up a little bit. I mean, that's probably going to, we're going to have a massive supply coming on. What's still kind of lofty? Copper's popped. And what's the most significant? The stock market's popped this year. Everything, all these little, we used to call it the, um, you know, when they, the baby seal trade, and it's politically incorrect to say that, you, they get hit when they put their head through the ice. I figured that'd give you a smile because when I worked with, I worked with Japanese firms and they thought that we would do it as just, you know, nicely, but it's just how it is. It's whack-a-mole. And I think that's what market's going to start doing as we get toward the end. Of the year. You're going to just look at whack-a-mole trades, and anything that's lofty and shouldn't be is going to get whacked. Well, yeah, Bitcoin's think... a bit lofty right now. And just on that, if you look at it on, on a 100-week versus this 200-day average, I mean, I'm so bullish long-term, but in the short term, you got to put your trading hat when you think everything's tilting over and say, okay, well, what are people going to hit first where they have some money? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly an element of that. I mean, as I said, there's a ton of cross-currents that we've talked about. 
And cross currents get for very interesting markets and markets are a, you know, what's the old expression in the short run, it's a sentiment, it's sentiment driven in the long run, it's a weighing mechanism and, you know, we'll get, we'll get it right. I mean, look, the thing that, that knowing there's a time bomb in the economy and it's one that it's, it, sometimes I like to, you know, talk about our leaders as, as if they're morons, right? There are definitely some in our leadership that are literal you know, literally ignore all facts if they dispute their narrative. Jerome Powell is not one of them. I mean, Jerome Powell is not dumb. In fact, you know, I actually think that so far the playbook he's following is pretty much what he has to do. I mean, you know, he's been asked to do something that he cannot do without legislative and administrative help. I mean, the the executive branch and the legislative branch do nothing uh, to combat inflation. In fact, actually throw gasoline on the fire. And Powell's sitting here saying, listen, you're asking me to do this. But at the same time, I know what I'm causing because I'm the bank. I am a bank regulator and overseer, and I know what the bomb is in the middle of the economy. I mean, just think about that, which is why I think the market is doing the I surely I can't choose the glass in front of me move of saying, well, they're going to have to reliquify the economy by the back half of this year because of everything Mike is saying. So I, I don't want to sell my assets. Now, I think it's really important to understand the types of assets, though. If you're talking about tech companies that have no off exposure to commercial real estate, if you're talking about things that are basically the economy is going to be one of those things where if you're not banking exposed or exposed to commercial real estate or other things where disasters are coming, uh, your stock, you know, is is going to do better than than the ones that are. And so I agree with you that there is a hurricane coming. I just don't know if, you know, what what things it's going to hit. I'm not sure that it's a hurricane that hits everything because the market is assuming that when that that leading edge starts to show up, the Fed is going to be forced to pivot. Uh, and, and the hope, and I hate hope, hope is a terrible business strategy. I always <laughs> talk about that. But the hope among investors is, listen, uh, we're hoping that they do so before my portfolio is destroyed. And, and, and you make very good points as to why that won't be the case. And I, I don't know. But what I know, all of this, however, the meta trend here, or let's go meta, if, if there's macro and then we got meta, the meta trend is distrust in institutions because they can't work. And to me, that is a very big reason why I am in crypto. It's a very big reason why Elizabeth Warren's anti-crypto army and the idiotic uh, report that the that, that came out of the White House, which was self-serving and ignored stuff, or even worse, the New York Times Bitcoin mining expose, which was, you know, data deficient to say the least. Why this narrative is being used, and it's because people don't trust institutions anymore. And I think that as, as from a from a crypto point of view, it's really important to understand that D-Link. It's also important to understand the D-Link that technology companies that are multinational are not as impacted as companies that are directly in the U.S. domestic economy that are, have ties to banking that need bank loans, et cetera, et cetera. You're, you're right, you know, Mike. I just don't know that it's going to be that tsunami wave that affects everything. And maybe it will. I don't know. But it feels to me like the market at least is saying, you know, whoops, we got a train going <laughs> It feels like the market's saying, okay, the train is going to leave the station because the Fed's going to reliquify. <laughs> and so they're both, they're, they're, they're betting on that. And I, I, your I train just left the station. Your train kinda, literally just left the station right out I kind of want to say that as, <laughs> as with my trader hat on the same way you do, Mike. But I'm. Well, can I? So I think that I actually fall somewhere in the middle. I think that, and we have the data that factually Bitcoin has largely decorrelated over the last eight to nine months, right? Starting in sort of June of last summer when we had that final crash, clearly with the black swan of FTX. And now on a 40 day rolling basis, correlation is sub 0.2 with stocks. Okay. That doesn't mean that will continue, but right now we do have a lack of correlation, even if that's just Bitcoin boring going sideways at 28,000. Mike, I also tend to agree with you that the worst is probably yet to come, but I want to actually just show a couple charts I've been pulling up here. Just yeah. ask you, Mike. Okay, so S&P, yeah. obviously, this is SPX, showed a 28% drop from the top around 4,800 to 35, right? So you obviously, we talk about 
40 to 50% being a true sort of correction in bear market. But if you look at QQQ, obviously, which tracks NASDAQ, we had a 38% drop. That could be enough for a bear market in theory, right? That we've already had. And also you mentioned that we're trading, you know, about 10% above the 200 MA. If you look at the trend, I mean, we at the top, it was 41% above. So number one thing to remember about charts is the design to make you lose your hair. I always say focus <laughs> on, on focus on the weeklies. And this is from an ex-pit trader. And the lesson you learn in the trading pitch of Chicago is there it's all about charts. You come to New York and it's all about fundamentals. <clears throat> now it's all about everything. Um, but um, that's the key thing I like to point out is markets and charts will make you um, lose the, the bigger picture sometimes. Um, at the wrong levels. And one thing I always like to do is like relative values versus moving average. So I pointed out the 100-week moving average in the NASDAQ has rolled over and the market just kissed it. And what's the Fed doing? Typically, almost every time in history, markets aren't about the economy. They're about the Fed, unfortunately. That's the umbilical cord the Fed's cutting. And they've made that statement indirectly, indirectly. It's the only time in history you're going to chance to finally uh, have, as some of your commentators say, I don't have to know the names of the Fed governors anymore. I can look at the fundamentals of the investment rather than what the Fed's doing. They're cutting that umbilical cord. And the only way to really do that is to have the pain in the equity market. So that ease that you need for the stock market to go up is not there. And it's not going to be there until the Fed, the stock market goes down, according to what I've, my interpretation of what the Fed's saying. In addition, then we have this recession going on and we have the history of the Fed's never going to ease at the ease they have in the past. So all that stuff you learned about in the past is scary. So the lesson I liked, I was just playing around with the 50-week moving average versus the 200-week moving average on the S&P 500. The 50-week moving average is crossed below. People call it a death cross. It's about 5% below the 200-week. It's the most and typically pretty deep. And there's never any time in history, I, go, I think it went back like 80 years, where the Fed was tightening in that environment or within a day, they almost always started easy. That's the difference. It's the market's changed, everything's changed. And we have these confluence of a hundred year events kicking in. So I'd say, be careful with the charts. And that's why I think I completely like that fact that the decorrelation of the Bitcoin, the key rem thing to remember as we all point out is when the stock market, the S&P 500 goes down with high velocity, which I think it will, everything's correlated to one. And this time it'll probably be bond yields won't go up this time. They'll go down and gold will probably go up. That's what was changed last year that really made it worse. The key thing is when that starts, which I'm, if it doesn't, McGlone's wrong, that Bitcoin will probably see pretty significant pressures, but we should see a lot more pressure and all the other cryptos, the ones that are just silly speculation and maybe flush them that. out eventually, flush them out eventually. We all know we got to get rid of that for this to be a legitimate space. Mike, I, and, I yeah. oh, go ahead. Sorry, finish. No, you got it. I mean, it's probably good. Uh, it's a rent. So that, uh, that, that, yeah. that to me is a macro, but be careful. It's the key thing about charts now is that the lesson I've learned, it was, all, it was hard enough to do before. It was all bots and AI and algorithms. Now it's more so. And the key lesson I learned being a technician, people claim I'm a technician. A lot of times I say I'm an anti-technician. When I see <laughs> signals that the majority, and Dave's laughing because when you see the widely watched signals, you see, I say I've watched right now in front sure. of me, I have CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. When I see something that hits the tape, Sometimes as a trader, my first influence is, oh, death cross. Okay, do the opposite. Because of once course. it hits the pop, yeah. So you got to be careful of that. So that's why I like to point out is people are saying, oh, we crossed above the 200-week or 200-day. It's bullish. Then that's usually the opposite. Yeah, to we, me, we've it's, seen it's, the fake outs a thousand times. Yeah. 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 yeah so here's, yeah. here's the biggest fake out in the history I'll, I'll warn you about. And that was in 1929. The S&P, the stock market dropped about 50%. It rallied about 50% in 1930 and then rolled down. And almost every single time the Fed starts easing, you get that bounce. I remember it in SEP 2007. And that oftentimes is the one you're supposed to fake. Totally agree. I just wanted to make the point. I wasn't, yeah, I agree with you 100% on charts. I was just sort of making the point of how far it's retraced and whether right. you know, it was enough on the first drop before we got here. But yeah. Okay, here's one key thing I'll, I'll, I'll end with. It's not so much how far it retraced, it's where I started with. It's the mean reversion. How far did it go initially? If you look at right. the NASDAQ S&P 500 versus, say, a 60-month moving average, right at the peak in 2021 2022, just as was the highest in 20 years. Okay, so what happened in 29? Market went too far, went back down too much. What happened in 87? Market went too far, went back down too much. What happened to the housing crisis in 2006? When people like, um, even Chairman Greenspan, oh, it's never gone down on an annual basis. Yeah. It just went too high, it goes down. That's what's happened. We're just reverting from going 
up too far in virtually all assets because of the most significant reason ever that pump and liquidity. Now we're going down. The key question is what stops it? Right. And so the, 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 that key question is, is what matters. I mean, as I said, time bombs in the economy that are, I mean, these are not small things. I mean, the Fed, I think you're right. I, I think they've been very, very clear in speeches. And we're going to get another rash of speeches this week. They don't give a crap about the equity markets. The, the Fed put, which was there for years and years and years, is gone. Poof, gone. They don't care. They don't want to fuel those asset prices. What they do, however, worry about is the integrity of institutions such as banks, credit unions, et cetera, throughout Main Street. That's what they care about. And the, the fact is, I think what you're seeing out of stock speculation is people assuming that that latter effect will mean that they have to reverse their policy. Uh, and I, like, I maintain that the reason they raised rates last time is I, I, I will be beyond surprised if in the halls of the Fed, of the Federal Reserve, as they were talking quietly among themselves, not in the minutes we're going to see this week, because God forbid right. they say this publicly, Powell or someone said, listen, if we pause now, it, people will realize just how big of a shit, well, he won't say, wouldn't say the word shit show. Yeah, they can't admit they were wrong. So great. You know, how big yeah. of a shit show it was, they expect it. And so we absolutely can't pause now or people will panic thinking that the situation is wrong. So let's just put this backstop facility so that no more banks go under. Let's let the economy work things out. Let's do what we're doing and give us the, the chance, give us the escape hatch to not continue to raise if we see fundamental weakening. I mean, I, I personally think that if the CPI print comes in at all reasonable, given all the things that are coming in, that the, the market's saying 50-50 they're going to raise uh, in May. That's what the market's saying. That's I saw that this morning. That's what Fed Fund Futures are saying. Uh, if they raise, it'll be the last one. Uh, and it's highly, to me, it's it's much less than 50%, unless we get a, a high inflation print that's a nominal thing that the political pressure is forcing it. Uh, remember, Mike and I, we talked about this. 2023, they can allow a lot more pain to happen. 2024, they are not going to allow pain to happen uh, because of the, the political cycle. So, you know, whatever pain is going to happen is going to happen this year. And because that's what, that's what people are looking at. So, yeah, maybe they raise one more time and maybe they, they wait to pivot. But that's really the question. The question is just how much rot is at the center of the economy yeah. when you take commercial real estate into account, when you take housing into account, when you take the T-bill the losses and bank balance sheets into account. And how Never important dead. how important are is that is the the broader banking system to economic growth and small business formation. Those are the things yeah. that matter. And and I don't have great answers for that. But what what I, what what Belay was talking about is all of this is really bad for trust. And by the way, just just to, yeah. just to echo what you were saying about you know Sheba, I know I get army, I get tons of of horrible Twitter people saying, "How dare you impugn our community?" Me too. Me too. The the truth of the matter is, there is very little difference in my mind between probably ninety five percent of all the crypto assets on Coin Market Cap that are not stable coins, and the ninety five percent of the OTC and small cap internet and sheets. Yep. And the difference was those internet stocks did, after the internet bubble in 2001, did go to zero. And yeah. then, and, you know, you yeah. had, it was like, it, it, there's, if you study sociology uh, and you go look at, at, at civilizations, the Yamamamo Indians use what's called slash and burn architect, uh, slash and burn agriculture. They literally burn forests. That's one of the problems of rainforest and deforestation in order mm. to create. So they burn everything and start from scratch. The market, creative destruction and capitalism is about the same thing. And what happened post-internet bubble in that technology is there was a huge burn. And most of those companies failed, right? Just literally, yeah. factually, most failed. And out of those ashes grew Google, Facebook, et cetera. Amazon was the sole, sole I, survivor. I, I agree with you, but I do want to make the point. I think people don't look far enough down the uh, crypto uh, risk curve to see how many projects literally have gone to zero already. I would yeah. say that 90% of the cryptos that right. exist, even though you've never heard of them, have already been slashed and burned and literally gone to That's zero. Right. 
Like I can tell you all the like pre-sale investments and seed that whole sort of wave that we just had that was reminiscent of the ICOs from 2021. Most of those coins literally are down 99.9% have been abandoned and aren't coming. Doge and SHIB, maybe sort of the, uh, because we live in a world where you can meme something into existence and, and we've seen that, right. I mean, listen, GameStop, and AMC are going to continue to exist as well. To me, that's the corollary for Doge and Ship right. specifically, but the rest of this has gone to zero. I can't tell you, I sat on a Twitter spaces last week and it was right when Elon Musk changed the Twitter logo to Doge. <laughs> and Gosh. they had five people come up on stage with myself and Simon Dixon who had a million followers each and some form of Doge something in their Twitter name. And I literally sat there for 30 minutes pulling my hair out. I wanted to look like Mike. To argue that Doge was literally not going to become like the global reserve currency or the currency of Twitter. And why did he do it? And these people are out there, man. And they're really serious. But yeah, I do no, I, just want to make the point that a lot has gone to zero. And Mike, I'm going to let you talk about second. But I do also, before yeah. we get done, I want to talk about the debt ceiling. Because we haven't cir circled back to it. And I want to see, Mike, if you still think that's hyperbole, if there's any threat there. But, but go ahead. I'll let um, Dave... And um, I have a sort of comments on that because um, I think it's just part of some of the good and bad of U.S. discourse and politics that the rest of the world, people like Churchill figured out. But it's part of our strength. Yes, it's seriously still we have this, but at least we debated publicly and you get to know what's going on. It's not like if you want to do anything in China or Russia or anything, right, you're talking to President Z or President Putin, it's their whim. So the debt ceiling is unconscionable that we would ever default and we won't. So I don't like to go there too much and let Dave comment. But I just want to follow up on a few things. First of all, this concept of what we do and what I do for a living has been doing this actually with customers since being in trading pits in the 80s. When you have someone respond to your call with animosity, number one, you know their position. It's obviously the opposite of your call. Thank you very much. I know what your position is. You don't have to tell me. And number two, you know you tweak something. Like the key thing I like to hear from you, Scott and Dave, sometimes if you disagree with me, that's what I need to help hone that view. Because we all agree it's just like what happens in these conferences. You get nice, you get groupthink, and it's the absolute wrong thing you should do. It's the human nature kicking in. Another thing you mentioned, I just on the Bloomberg terminal, I typed in this WIRP function. I love it. It shows the Fed's right right now for May is 5%, so 73% chance they're going to raise uh, 25 basis points. And by December, it's going to be 4.4% and going down. And that was where I enjoyed that reading that article this morning. Oh, the bond market's insane. And um, it's gone up the most in history from zero. Just going down, reversion is going to be feel the same thing. It's going to feel insane. But the thing is, it's going to happen um, with a serious lag, which means it's the Fed stuck. This is that lose-lose. This is that economic reset that's almost inevitable right now. And that's so, part of it, but it's also what's going to happen next year. It's virtually guaranteed we're going to have a sweep out of anybody who's an incumbent will be when, when you go to a severe recession, anybody's an yeah, incumbent it's, pushed out it's over. and it's over. And it, obviously, um, just like Trump was, as Scaramuzzi pointed on your podcast last week, was very anti, is still anti-crypto. He has he no clue crypto. about the, the dollar. I mean, do you not Probably understand doesn't even the know that his NFTs are crypto, by the way. Well, he just needs <laughs> or better advisors. Well, exactly. But so the key thing is, I, I, we're more likely to see a young Republican. Now, who that is, I don't know. But it's if they're business friendly, or are they going to do um, just, you know, so maybe go back to those days, you have to provide the social network system like FDR did. But remember, Hoover got that started. So the, the, the one wild card here uh, that I think I, I don't want to talk about, I mean, we're going to have plenty of time to talk politics, you know, as the year progresses. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it's just annoying. But the one political thing that is interesting is answer me this question. Uh, the rumors were circulating, you know, five months ago or so that May Yellen was going to step down. Uh, when the banking crisis started, it was pretty obvious they weren't going to let her step down because then it would be hanging the banking crisis around her neck. So the question is, if they get another few more weeks, if we key go through without any other bank failures and everything gets copacetic, will she step down? Now, why do I care about this? I care about this because of your colleague, Mr. You know, the stalwart, Mr. Wiesenthal. Uh, if they put in someone in the head of the treasury, uh, 
who is not steadfastly against the notion of the platinum coin, then you might see a game of chicken with the debt ceiling, which doesn't result in raising in, in us violating our, our bond covenants, but does have a symbolic uh, effect that I think could be rather dramatic. And so I, I, it really matters. I mean, if, if, if you answer the question, if you told us they are through the debt ceiling debate, I think that, that both sides will, will blink and eventually 11th hour negotiations will happen. Uh, maybe it goes over the line and we default for a couple of weeks, but, you know, we, we deal with it. If, on the other hand, she's gone and they replace her with someone who's a modern monetary theory uh, adherent, uh, expect to see the coin print, expect to see that that minting, at least as a credible threat so that McCarthy and those guys realize that, well, we don't really have the leverage we have so that, that they can't push for as much uh, you know, spending reduction as they want to push for. To me, that is a very big deal because the narrative space where, where, where really matters around the debt ceiling is, is the U.S. going to do anything that irrevocably hurts the symbolic uh, value of the dollar as a reserve currency, because it really is all about narratives and symbolism here. I mean, even it's like people talk about the yuan replacing the dollar. I mean, right now the yuan is pegged to the dollar. So yeah, okay, so there's absurd, deals man. where they're using it. But how, how many times in your career have you heard that same statement? I, but I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of it. When I'm since I was a child, you, I've heard the same thing. Like, okay, you get get. It's like Bitcoin's going to fail. Okay, I'm getting sick of hearing it. <laughs> well, it, it's like, yeah, exactly. And so the real question is, isn't, uh, will the dollar lose its reserve currency because? Whoops, looks like I did. You we guys can hear you. We, we can, can hear, hear you. Me. Yeah, let's figure else. Just keep talking. No problem. We're keep almost talking. done. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So we'll do it this way. So we'll switch to a different camera. In any case, uh, the well, fact is, it's not about the dollar losing its reserve currency to another fiat currency. The issue is, will people lose faith in the in fiat currencies? And will that accelerate? Yeah. And how much will that yeah. happen? And that's, that's where a lot of things going on. And I think the platinum yeah. coin is very important for that narrative. And, and we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just said there, I gave, I tossed out, sadly for your, your audience, Scott, I tossed out a bunch of unknowns. But if you have a strong belief that Yellen is going to step aside after another few weeks of calmness in the banks, <sighs> and there's going to be a new Secretary of Treasury who might be more sympathetic. Kessler. I was just going to say, oh, my God, hope it's, <laughs> we all know that that's what Jen's. I don't even know if that would be, a, I think, for crypto, that would probably be good. Oh, help us. <laughs> I, I, have, I have absolutely just no idea. Just get him out of where he is now. Just move him from where he is. All He can go He can go be president at this point. It might help us. I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> yeah, you've rendered me speechless. I don't know what to say about that. Other than no way. To say that, that it is a very big deal and it's something that bears a lot of watching. But I, I got to follow up with one thing. I know we're at the end here, but they, no, that's anyway, a key I statement. Have time. You, go, you go ahead. Yeah, that, that's a key statement that is win-win in the macro for Bitcoin. Is this is I look at it. If you're a, a superior being or an alien or someone from the future, you ask yourself, okay, well they figured out how to fly, they figured out fission, they figured out fusion. Did they figure out global money? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's that's at a touch of touch of a button, like they can email. Yeah, they're getting there, and there's only one. It's Bitcoin. I mean, I can't, I'm sorry, but Ethereum helps make dollars happen. Other things happen, but there's only one that's just like digital gold, and it's so easy. And it's like that's a key difference during the Great Depression. Everybody was still on the gold standard, and that didn't work out so well. But the Bitcoin, I mean, it's like Safedine Amos in his book. We're going towards a Bitcoin standard. I just don't think it's going to be easy. Or, or or be too quick, guys. It is 10:31. Yeah, I don't know, Dave. Did you have something you were just saying? You were agreeing? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say a, a special note, both Mike and Dave, that this has, uh, while even in the midst of the bear market, as things are down, this has become by far, A, my favorite, but also our most popular uh, stream of the week, uh, which I think is a testament to consistency and just to, uh, your popularity and probably to the fact that our audience is, I would imagine, on average, 20 to 30 years older than most uh, crypto YouTubers' audiences. But it is great that uh, to, to see how many people show up and then really how many people watch it in, in, in hindsight and afterwards. Uh, Dave, also, I consider it a uh, successful stream anytime someone invokes a quote from my favorite movie, maybe of all time, The Princess Bride. <laughs> right? You, you fell victim to uh, classic blunders, never uh, get involved in 
land war in Asia and less known as uh, never going against the Sicilian when death is on the line. line. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely perfect. Everyone, uh, I don't know if we told you I'm going to be gone next Monday. Sadly. So we we are. And as I talk about consistency, I'm taking one week off. Sorry, guys. But otherwise, everyone. Yeah, go ahead, Dave. No, I was going to say the following Monday, I will be traveling. uh, Not 100% sure. Somewhere in the Middle East, I may or may not be available. Uh, You're going to do this with your phone on a uh, in front of a in front of a a temple somewhere or something. Maybe. And uh, (laughs) and uh, and then tomorrow, I have to tell everybody, of course, continuing sort of the momentum with spaces. Mike, Dave, of course, always welcome. Uh, I'm going to have Mike Novogratz, who we've been chasing for about two years, and uh, Chris Giancarlo, who is the former CFTC chairman so that should be a hell of a conversation with the two of them about uh, regulation and if you don't know chris giancarlo is actually working on a central bank digital currency now that he claims will be fully private so it should be a very very interesting conversation we will see i hope you'll all be there mike dave once again thank you guys so much thanks scott thanks Thanks, everyone